Welcome back to the Broken Vermont Podcast. This is Erin and Jen. Jen and Erin. Coming at you from Bradford, Vermont. As always, because this is the only place you're going to really ever hear is coming from. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to the space on Maine. My name is Erin Shaw, and I represent me, um, but I'm just kidding. I also represent the Vermont Professionals of Color Network, which is known as VTPOC. And it's really like a professional and workforce development uh, for BIPOC folks. And so we've been up to some really fun things. We've hosted some really cool events. Like uh, recently we did rock climbing. Um, Yeah, we hosted. Indoors or outdoors? Indoors. Um, Of course, all the fun things are always in Chittenden County. And the reason for that is because everything is in Chittenden County. (laughs) Vermont has one city. <laughs> Everything else is not just, true. It's There's just other big towns. It's just hills. <laughs> I wouldn't call them cities. They're they ta- have other big towns. Villages. <laughs> they have a variety of villages. They do. We live in a and village. There state. are BIPOC people everywhere. Yeah, but surprise, most of surprise, surprise. surprise. Um, there are BIPOC people everywhere because I am coming to you from. The northeast side of Vermont. So we are everywhere. Proof. Living proof. Living proof. Um, But yeah, we also did a screening of Beyonce, which was pretty amazing. Also like a BIPOC cycling. So yeah, we've been up to some really fun things at VTPOC, like officially full time too. So that's always a great thing. And you also help people get access to funding. Yeah, funding, research, policy. So now I'm doing a lot of policy work on economic injury from the flood. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been really exciting. And then I also have some exciting things going on in just my life outside of work, which has been my life for a while. Oh, yeah. Like what? I'm opening up a dispensary. (sighs) Over here on the east side. On the east side. See? Yep. There'll be two BIPOC dispensaries on the east side. So see, we're here. We're everywhere. Just please don't stop your car and give us $2. <laughs> to recap. <laughs> that was <laughs> Love thy neighbor, but. If people don't get the joke, they need to go back and listen to all the previous podcasts. You're missing out on you some are, gems. You really are. Knowledge. That, that was the episode with um, with Monique. So yes. representative Priestley. So. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, definitely go back and listen to, to those because they're pretty funny. Um, I would have to say Jane and I are funny um, <laughs> for nothing else. So, yeah, I've been pretty busy um, working on some contracts, going to the Virgin Islands. What about you, Jane? Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, still working for the Conservation District. You know, it's basically my whole personality now. <laughs> So uh, I work with a lot of farmers. The Conservation District, as our listeners may know, is a very special democratic body that exists in every state and territory across the United States. And it's all about locally led leadership, uh, locally led decision making in conservation and natural resources. It's basically a watershed government. So if you think about it, like, it's control of the local people. You don't even have to be a citizen. Like you literally just have to be a resident or like the stat, the original statute says an occupier of land. I mean, 
That's a walking person. I'm currently occupying land. <laughs> so that's everyone to me. Yeah. A walking person. Or not oh, walking. Or rolling. However. Being a person. Yeah. It, it Occupying space um, has like rights to their say so in their natural environment. Um, and it's broken down by watersheds, which makes a lot of sense because that's how our natural resources flow, i.e. water, which is life. Yeah. So I'm all for it. Like more democracy and more direct action and more meaningful engagement of people in how money is spent and how policies are written and all that stuff. So we've been busy. We've been hiring a lot of folks, getting a lot of money out the door, trying to get uh, some of this federal money into the pockets of the people which is incredibly challenging. Power to the people. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I felt like that was needed to say at that moment. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, going to the Virgin Islands. I know. I love that for the both of us. <laughs> but so, let's talk about the Virgin Islands. The Virgin Islands. I feel like we should. Okay, so I <laughs> yeah. want really Jen to talk about this because this was her baby that she brought to life. Um, so everyone should just... They need a gin in their life because that's why I'm going to the Virgin Islands. <laughs> Get yourself connected with your local conservation district. That's all I can really say. My advice for all of humankind, well, Americans, well, United States of Americans. But that's all to say we are developing. This is like big news like for yes. the listeners because you're all invited. Um, consider yourself notified. <laughs> Basically, what we're launching is an opportunity for high school educated people. Um, it's great if you have a college education. You could be any age. I eventually definitely want to have high school students, but for now, I think we need people to be over 18. Not confirmed, but for now. For waiver purposes. Liability. want to be a part of a training opportunity, like a cohort of people starting in June. And this is what, like, we're, we're going to have like a cohort from Vermont and a cohort from the Virgin Islands. And we are going to be meeting virtually every month. Um, this is going to be a paid opportunity. So the participants would be paid for their training time. Out of it, they'll get an actual certification that's un, like nationally recognized and transferable. Again, all 57 states and territories have these like federal programs and we're basically going to be training up a bunch of conservation planners who can help farmers and forest stewards access this money. And yeah. when I say this money, it's like the amount of money that we have available to get quintupled with the Inflation Reduction Act. And it's kind of a scary thing because it's like we already can't get the money out the door with just one times. And so every year it goes up. So we're just prepping for the future. Like we need people who can actually write the plans that are needed. And, and like once you get into the program, you can, you know, depending on your interest, you kind of are going to be able to pick your specialty. Like, do you want to learn about agroforestry or grazing or um, nutrient management, um, literally manure? <laughs> and Or do you um, want to say just on like the data side or the technical assistance side, the research part. So yeah, there's, there's so many opportunities and then everyone. it'll just grow from there in terms of skill building. So like 
We definitely want, for starters, this initial round, basically what we're asking people to commit to is like 200 hours a year, mostly online, and then for a week or two weeks, potentially in person at like a conservation boot camp kind of opportunity in Vermont. When we get to a point where we have enough money, we are also going to be like taking more people to the Virgin Islands. So it would be like winter training in the Virgin Islands, summer training in Vermont, or fall potentially. So this is just the launch of that. And the first phase of it really is like gathering up the trainers. So that's why we're focusing on like train the trainer for starters, Mm because what we're growing to the point of is being able to bring in a lot of trainees and just sort of onboard them, show them the path, give them access to the federal training opportunities, give them access to the federal like registration stuff where you can actually register to be a technical service provider. And in, once you get that, like you can go anywhere and you can either work for the feds, you can work for the local conservation district, you could be your own private contractor, which is me. And you could get paid for helping people. Um, and you would be certified and nobody can take that away from you. Yeah. That's true. Um, Speaking of contractors, I need to go read. The federal government is doing something new with the 1099s, and I need to see how that's going to impact small business owners. That just made me remember that. Oh, Lord. Yeah. (laughs) You let us know. That will be, yeah, I'll Um, be on the next one. Um, We're, so like, you're saying Vermont and the Virgin Islands just because that's where we're at, but we're definitely accepting people from other other places. places. Yeah. And then so. we do want to grow this, especially yes. like from the VTPOC standpoint, mm-hmm. um, we're wanting to like, cause the entire team, we're all from somewhere different. Um, someone's from Africa, I think Zimbabwe. I don't, I think so. Um, China, um, Vietnam, Puerto Rico, and then me, Alabama. Um, so, and we all come from places that they need help. And so workforce development and it could be, you know, no one may not want to live in Vermont forever, which I get it Mm because I don't either. But it's also a place for you to be able to come here, learn your trade, grow, figure it out and then take what you've learned here and then apply it back either to your home state, home country or a new place. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of what this program is. It's really like a workforce development. So, yeah. Workforce development, like, you know, um, because we need to build houses. Yeah. Building houses like that's the vision of the future where this all connects into like true skill building. Like, yeah. And for me, I'm always saying, like, pick your passion. When you get into this program, you'll be exposed to so so many career. And you don't have to stop what you're doing. Like, you know, that's that's it. Like me, let me be an example. I have so many different hobbies. It is so much fun <laughs> not doing the same thing every day. Yeah, I don't think I can do the no. same thing every day, which which I do, but I don't because like in some instances when I'm with working with Jen, it's mainly farmers, Vermont professional color, obviously is BIPOC business owners and professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, this new contract is also working land, but they're all women-owned businesses. Mm-hmm. So that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. So- this other contract I'm on, it's state. Um, that's a whole another one. Um, I don't even like to talk about that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get to do so many different things, but they all kind of correlate. And then I'm exposed to the fact that, that it's like it, it all, all is intertwined out there, and it's all linked. 
And you don't have to just go get like a soul crushing job. You don't. And you don't have to become a part of a machine that doesn't bring you Do something hope. that brings you happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Find the I just want to help more people like find That's their it. purpose. And, I just want to help people. I just yeah. want to help people help people. Mm-hmm. The more people you help, then the more they help. But especially help people access incredibly fulfilling healthy jobs outside and resources like you can have your dream job you can you really can, really can. Yeah. you can you can do that i still don't know what my dream job is though. but so many people want just like we've been saying like so many people want the same thing like they how do. many people i've talked to who are like oh i just wish i could have a farm with like some of my friends and we would just feed each and, other and like, like my, me and one of my best friends we've been talking about it forever everybody and talks about the dream farm yeah like you know we having all, all these houses it. and yeah, we, yeah. Were, we were just talking about it. we were like hmm land is cheaper in georgia mm-hmm. and that's where he lives we're Mm-hmm. And that's his wife wants to do the same thing. We're like, yeah, let's. And it's we time. should be able to do that. Like that's, we should. That, and we have enough land on this earth to do that. We got to stop conserving it. So much of it. <laughs> Anyways, <sighs> our children are gonna need to be able to like have what they need access land like they're gonna need healthy food like they're gonna need food the thing and they're gonna need like space they're gonna need houses on that space and maybe there's a design of the future you know what we should ask all the indigenous people Mm -hmm. not just you know the indigenous people here but also you got to go back to like if you look at some villages in like africa or china like just like the beginning like they do things so differently and they're still like, I mean, to us, we're like, ew, like you're living like that. But they're like, we have food, mm-hmm. plenty food. And then they're so healthy. Food, like they have food in storage. And we're like, and it, that's just the thing is like over here in the United States of America, we're, we're doing this thing called lab grown meat. And I just don't understand why a lot of us are not outraged at the fact that I don't want any, I don't want food that comes from a lab. I barely want the drugs that come from the lab, <laughs> much less my, f- like, so you're telling me you're doing lab grown meat in the same place that you're like doing like mental health medication, just probably <laughs> same room, just different lines. <laughs> <laughs> what is in the meat? What? <laughs> I don't even. We barely know what's in the water. I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't even want to know what's in. You know, you don't want to know. I think. Yeah. So a goal of mine mm-hmm. is to have enough money mm-hmm. so I can buy like local meat, have it butchered. I mean, it is pricey the first time. Like I've seen like, so, but then it ends up cost saving because it's so like. Much. Someone was like one pig lasted them like four and a half months and they were able to share it. Yeah. And I was just like, and they're like, yeah, it costs $900. And I'm like, I mean, $900 for four and a half months. And that was for a family of four. It's just. Yes. And imagine like having the cold storage that we need. I really want to build houses out of shipping containers. And I wonder when I get to the Virgin Islands, how many ports are there and how many just empty containers there are. Yeah. You yeah. know, the three R's. Right. I don't know them, but. It's what, it's what, it's what, it's what reduce, is reduce, it? reuse, recycle. Yeah. Reduce, reuse, recycle. 
which I feel like it should be reuse, reduce, recycle. But I mean, because that's how you like reduce it. Because you have to reuse it to that's reduce it. Yeah, you we just do can't need to focus on. You can't reduce stuff. something without reusing it. <laughs> like I'm so sorry. <laughs> Are you okay? Whoa. I'm sorry, y'all. I just got coffee in my eye. Jumped out of my cup. My I'm cup a- has a lid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I promise I did sleep last night. I, I actually, wait a minute, wait a minute. I woke up <laughs> and I got on Instagram, which is what probably a lot of us do when we wake up out of our sleep. Mm-hmm. But I woke up and if you are not a Bible person, you can just like probably fast forward this part. Um, and it was Priscilla and she was talking about Luke chapter five. And I was like, let me open up the Bible app. And I opened up the Bible app and it was Luke 18. I was like, oh, I see you, God. Uh, so I was like, what it do? So I read um, Luke chapter five and then Psalms 44 and then Luke 18. And then I went to bed and I woke up feeling refreshed. So I just thought that that was really important to tell people. It's nice to renew your mind. And then go right back to sleep. (laughs) What's Luke talking about? Uh, Let's see. Uh, Luke was, you know, that's a really good one. Um, That's when Jesus basically knew that he was going to be betrayed. He talked about his death. Um, Also talked about just the stillness and waiting for him. Because, you know, Simon, Peter, they're the same person, if you didn't know that. Um, (laughs) okay um it is a little confusing mm-hmm. uh but you know he was a fisherman and he had went out and didn't catch anything and then jesus was like let's go homie and they went and he was like this is more than enough mm-hmm. so you know sometimes you just have to wait just gotta wait on your blessings but then he still had to do something like he still had to cast it out it's not like this was just like let's go out here and just chill it's cool because there's multiple meanings of the word wait. Like waiting on the Lord is different than waiting on the Lord. Like, you know, if I'm a waiter, I'm like serving, serving. you. I am. Yep. So it's and a, I'm standing here waiting like to patiently. See what you need. <laughs> Let me see what you need so I can help you. So it's a twofold thing. It makes me think of the title of our podcast, to be honest, because there's so many meanings to what we're doing here. Broke in. A little recap of that, too. Yeah. Broke in Vermont. What does broke in mean? And the way we spelt it, literally, like, broke and then the word in. Mm -hmm. So I think it has four meanings. Mm Mm-hmm. The one I relate to right now is that I am currently broke in Vermont. (laughs) (laughs) That's the part that I relate to, but also, but also sometimes things need to be broken yeah. and sometimes they don't need to be put back together. We should just like, when something is broke, we, we just have to start all over. You know, when pottery breaks, it doesn't look that great if you glue it back together. Just start again. Or make a mosaic. Pick up the pieces. Just make something new. That's it. You know, just... However you relate to broke in. I also like think about like a really good like broke in boot. That's really comfortable. Like I have a broken tennis shoes that I run into. Like I people are like, you need new tennis shoes. Why would I ever do that when I know that I can go running miles in these shoes? I have a lot of tennis shoes, but I run and hike in this one particular pair. 
and they're broken. So we're not saying like necessarily that Vermont is broken. There are certainly things as there is across all of our society that is absolutely busted broken (laughs) and we do believe that we can fix the things yeah it's we just all have to identify i think we all want the same thing so we're all just going by the things differently and that's the problem like we all want a healthy life we all want vermont to be a thriving you know state we want more young people here we want i mean i can't speak for everybody but we would like more diversity here but we would like to you know create more homes and for people to not be on drugs and mental health. Like, I think that that's what we all want, but we just, we just go by them very differently. And it's because we don't talk to one another. It's that thing right there. Yeah, I agree. And I heard it said in a meeting sometime this week, someone kind of saying it was almost like a threat (laughs) that, you know, well, if we're, if we're going to achieve our goals, we have to work together. And I just am curious about like who's setting these goals, you know, and like if the people who are most impacted by the implications of your goals and your policies and your processes aren't involved in setting the goals, then how do you know that's what we all want? You know, it's like when you're speaking for other people, you have public input is needed to be able to really have something to stand on and and be sure that what you're doing represents other people. And then also, even with that, it's making sure when you are doing engagement, you're reaching everyone. That's the piece that's always Which missing. maybe that's impossible, but we have to try. I don't think it is impossible because, okay, so in my line <laughs> of work, there was a grant that opened up um, for small businesses. Mm-hmm. And we were outreach partner, which is great. There was only like five people listed as an outreach partner. And this state is not big, but it's also not small either because it is so remote. It is difficult. You know, we have like advertising things like you can't have billboards, you know. And so I was like, okay, how do I get this information down to like Southern Vermont, which as we always know, like Southern Vermont is kind of tend to be left out entirely like I don't know if that's intentional or not but it when is you see like funding maps southern Vermont gets it's like it's a like one percent of what the amount of money may less than like way less than five percent seriously of the amount of money that's spent and I was like and so this grant there was like so many slots that were still open in Bennington County and I was like so what are we doing here and they're like oh yeah we don't know and so like I reached out to someone in Bennington who happens to be a black woman and was like hey this grant has opened this is how they can apply but if they need help just give them my email I like helped so many people and then not only with that grant but like on other things but I was just like so were we gonna like not like not not, like we weren't you just be like oh I really hope that somebody from Bennington logs on to our state website and checks it out to the bottom and clicks I was like (laughs) I was like wait what is this because like honestly they started outreach probably like a couple of days before the grant. Like, and I'm just like, why aren't we like giving this more? So like anytime like something comes my way, I make sure that I reach out also to my wonderful connect in Bennington, because if not, it's not going to reach them. And so 
that's why I always feel like we're not we're not trying. That was such no. an easy email. Like, hey, this is Aaron. I work with VTPOC. I was just wondering, like, do you know of anybody? If you don't, can you connect me with someone? She was like, give me like a day, like literally in a day. She had connected me with like, I know, like seven or eight people that I'm still helping today. And I'm just like, they didn't even know VTPOC existed. Yeah. And I'm just like, huh, interesting. But yeah, that's a broken thing, actually. A broken thing that. Hold on. (laughs) That communication piece is horrible. And the fact that. There's too many grants and there's too many grant deadlines and there's too many programs. And I'm not saying spend less money on all those good things. I'm saying streamline it. That is a absolute broken thing. And it's pretty unique to the state of Vermont. Other states mess this up too, but the state of Vermont has such a big heart for people and they're putting so much money out the door to try to do good things, but it is overburdening the already overburdened people yeah it is way too difficult it is we yeah we have a lot of you know coaches is what i like to call them head people in charge doing absolutely not a lot but i I think for every person who is in charge and like they should also be doing like direct technical assistance like why doesn't everybody help Four people that that seems like fill out the application with four people. Well, what I think that bothers me the most is a lot of these corporations and organizations will like create a technical assistance, you know, role, whatever, or say they, you know, offer TA and it's like the money that you're quote unquote using for TA, you could just be also giving it to someone else. To actually, they, they're telling you, I need $5. Yeah. And you're like, instead, we're going to keep eight and we're going to give you two. So there was just an article, we'll link it, critiquing the EPA's dispense of environmental justice money because there's so much money to get got right now across the board, like from the federal government. Thanks, Biden, for the money. And the bureaucracy is ruining it. Like it's it's like really hard to get out the door. It's because like, so I follow money with my job because I kind of have to. And so like, it'll be funny because like the state will allocate one organization, let's say a hundred thousand dollars instead of that one state being like, okay, we, we've heard the masses. We've seen the research. What they do is then they give, you know, $80,000 to another organization and say, we're going to keep 20 to oversee it. And then that organization is like, okay, we're going to give $60,000 to this organization and we're going to keep 20 to oversee it. And then that organization is like, we're going to give out another 40,000 and we're We're going to give out $2,000 grants to the people. And then it gets down to we're we're picking 10 people to give $2,000 to. And you're like, so out of a hundred thousand dollars, you're only giving out 10,000. Because all these that, overseers. That's the kind of numbers that I really won't need to see from my government at this point. I need to see how much money is in direct payments and how much money is going to pay middlemen and their salaries. I mean, and what's the ratio? Because I know like at my conservation district, 
this is exactly what we do too. And we get money out the door and we need money to pay ourselves and like all the people. Who Same are doing, thing with us. And we're experts in certain things. So it's like, we definitely need to get paid for what we do for this one project. I'm very pleased that we have a seven to one ratio of TA to direct FA payments, like technical assistance to financial assistance payments. I think that's acceptable. That is acceptable. <laughs> like, <clears throat> yes, I agree with something like that. Like that feels right. That feels that feels like I'm helping. Even a three to one. But we're getting like one to one. If that. Yeah. I'm really curious about like a, I would, some programs. I went down that rabbit hole and it I just went I went down that rabbit hole in Vermont during flood assistance. Yeah. And I'm just telling you, it was not a healthy place for me to be. <laughs> <laughs> It was not good for the soul. Like I, because not even then I even went down the rabbit hole with the federal government because, you know, they were like, we're going to help black owned businesses. You know, it was like, okay, all of the assistance was TA work. So it was, none of it was actually going into the hands of black businesses. It was all going for like you to hire someone to do the exact same thing that I can do. Like I know how to research, like most business owners, they just need the capital at this point. Mm-hmm. They don't need you to be like, Hey, we're going to find this grant for you. Literally same with farmers. Farmers need money. They need money. They it's need like to actually have the money to buy seeds. It's pretty simple. To, and to pay payroll, pay the people who are picking. Like it's, it's like this, it's a really weird balance. And one day I will go back down that rabbit hole. <laughs> but as of right now, my mental health has been extremely important to me. Being, you know, if if you are in Vermont, you know that it can be extremely depressing in the winter. I recently, last week I submitted a FOIA request for some like government If someone doesn't know money. what FOIA is, can you? Yeah, so it's like FOIA, Freedom of Information Act. And basically it's the fact that any of us as Americans are have the right to request information from our public officials. And so especially around like, well, around a lot of stuff, I'm not a FOIA expert, but this was the first one I've submitted on my own. And I, I'm, I w- I'll give details when I get my response. <laughs> so I won't go into the details. Can't but wait to hear this response. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. But the good news was actually they were really helpful. Like I submitted, it's a, it was a pretty easy form. I was requesting information from the Department of Agriculture on like specific spending that they've done. And the FOIA office was super helpful because they helped me refine my request. I was really pleased with how that went. So whoever is like funding the FOIA office, good job. You have nice staff (laughs) at USDA. They were really smart. They reached back out and they were like, Hey, you know, you should rewrite it to say this, you know, because we would never like, we don't have data on that scale. We have it on this scale. And so I adjusted. That's a really great TA. And they got back to me then the day I submitted it. See, that was amazing. That see, that is a program that I'm all for. Like, yes, my money to go there. I think there's been enough lawsuits around FOIA that they're, they're they have their crap together finally. That's great. Um, so, but please. you would think that uh, a lot of other companies who've also had a lot of lawsuits would have their shit together. But companies or agencies? <laughs> we talk about them. I mean, a lot of these agencies are companies. If we're gonna, if we're gonna do that, I saw this. Um, what was it? I don't know. I think it was on Instagram, and it was like, if athletes can't bet on games, then why does why can Congress like have stocks uh, with companies they regulate? 
And I was like, hmm, <laughs> that's really, that's a really great topic because, hmm, why can you? It's over my head. It's, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I it's, know. Yeah. You know, it's, they're right. That's all I can say as Sounds I, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, hmm. It's the life that we live. But anyway, we went off on a great tangent um, because we went from Jesus (laughs) to FOIA (laughs) to TA. Freedom, don't affect (laughs) it. So we're going to go back to the Virgin Islands. Um, This is how we talk really in real life. Um, We never just get from A to B. We have to go to like G and then we go down to Z and then we do go to B. Um, So we're now back at B. Um, I don't know how long we'll be there, though. But we're We're very excited to share this with the people because this has been cooking for a long time and it's going to grow and expand over the next many, many years. So um, this is just like the start of our workforce workforce development development program which is really important because it's something that is important (laughs) (laughs) that was that corporate (laughs) errand that was that politically correct answer no okay (laughs) no it is because the thing that like we can all learn something from different people Mm-hmm. Like the Virgin Islands, obviously, is so different than Vermont on like numerous different levels from the culture to the climate to the food, you know, to the weather. Like it's all different, but we all have some of the same issues when it comes to housing, when it comes to climate change, you know, when it comes to like just the health of people and the future generations. And so it's going to be really exciting to be able to learn and grow um, and seeing some of their practices, because I feel like, I feel like a lot of ways they're doing it right, you know, and then there's some things that we can help with um, here. And so a lot of people always like, well, Aaron, why are you going to the Virgin Islands when you don't do anything in ag? And I'm like, cause I do a lot of things in ag actually. Um, Helping literally, I have like BIPOC farmers that I help. I have a lot of like BIPOC people that are in the food industry that want to be able to get, you know, better food um, to serve. Like they don't want to buy from somewhere else. They want to buy it local and they're into manufacturing. And so I'm excited to kind of help on that end of like the TA and that workforce development. And also when there's a natural disaster in the Virgin Islands, they're able to come here then also when I'm over February in Vermont, I know where I can go. <laughs> a safe haven. It's a safe haven <laughs> for me. So I'm really excited about this trip. Um, I'm excited that we're both taking our kids. Yeah. So that's I think gonna that's going to be really exciting mm-hmm. to to get this experience from two kiddos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the gist of it, when I met the woman that we're coordinating with down on the island, we hit it off talking about the similarities between Vermont and the Virgin Islands. We actually met on Puerto Rico at a conference, but we um, 
just we're talking about local food security, the kind of infrastructure that our farmers need, like our small scale farmers to grow more, you know, diversity of um, their crops and their produce and their meat and how to do it sustainably. And that like it really takes money and like infrastructure and people who know how to do it, people who know how to build fences and greenhouses and um, people who know about soil health and about grazing systems and really importantly, water. Having clean, abundant water is a huge issue for the Virgin Islands. And it's also an issue for Vermont. Yeah, I have to get my water tested like every six months. When I was on Puerto Rico, that was when I realized how messed up the policies around just in terms of food security. These islands, you would think, can grow everything year round. But the reality is because they're the territories of the United States government, they have to abide by really strict shipping laws. And turns out Puerto Rico imports 85% of their food, which is similar to Vermont. I don't know how much food Vermont imports, but it's a lot. It's the vast majority. And so on top of that, with disaster resiliency, we have to you know, consistently clean up from floods they have to consistently clean up from hurricanes. It's sort of this like skill level that is needed in terms of building and having resilient infrastructure and being able to recover from disaster. So those similarities kind of got put together in a crock pot and we thought about it for about a year. We went in on a um, grant proposal together. So with the Virgin Islands Department of Agriculture and the Virgin Islands Women in Agriculture Association, um, we did not get the grant. Uh, we asked for a million dollars to start up this like workforce development program between Vermont and Vir the Virgin Islands. Um, we didn't get the grant and we just decided to do it anyway. So that's what we're doing. And we're, you know, using other money. We got some funding to bring some like private funding to bring um, actual people down because it's pretty hard to pay for travel. So you definitely need private money for that. And But we did it. Yeah. So we're headed down there in February to get to know each other, kind of plan for this train the trainer type of development that we're going to be doing and launch our training program. Yes. And really, like, the territories are basically the states. states. We just, we don't treat them. We don't treat them like that. Well, but not me, personally, the, but the government. But just. the reality from the way I'm thinking of it is, like, if they don't get a vote and they don't get a say, then it actually is all of our duty to make sure that they're getting a fair shot at the funding that's available to them. And that's the reality down there on those, like the islands don't get access to the federal money the same way the states do because they're territories. They're not states, even though they're supposed to. Yeah. I remember when I went to visit Guam in 2017, it was really depressing. Mm -hmm. Not because the island itself is beautiful. Uh, it's breathtaking. But I would honestly say that so every U.S. military, like, is there. So you have the Army, the Air Force, the National Guard, you have the Navy and the Marines. So they, they all, and the Coast Guard. So they're all, and Guam is not that big, people. Like, it's it's not, it's a small island. Um, and 
when I went, like Wednesdays was like the local day that they were able to have like their markets and it was really sickening. A lot of them, they tell their children when they grow up to join the military because that's the only way that they're going to be able to see certain parts of the island. Um, so that's what probably, in my opinion, I would say like 80% of children that live in Guam grow up to go into the military because they kind of have no, and that's the only way you make money as well because it's all military bases. Um, so like even some of like I have friends that are in the military, so I was able to get like a little visitors pass and go into the base. Mm -hmm. And those were literally like the best islands. And I met this old woman who I don't know if she's still there, but I know where her, her shop was. So I know exactly where to go when I go back to Guam. Mm -hmm. Um, she was just telling me how she hasn't been able to go to some places anymore. Um, just because now they're owned by the, they're the military. So so, yeah, that, that also happens a lot. And I think that we often forget just the pain and the suffering we cause territories. It's and very we broken. benefit from that. We do. And then we go on vacations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And let's be for real. They don't really get a lot of that local tourism money. And, you know, we import all kinds of products from them like the legacy of like just like how, like how we live off of sugarcane like before corn became our main source of sugar we were growing sugarcane on these islands that's why we kept them like to devastate them ecologically put them all into slavery yeah it extract. all goes back to yeah it's you know yeah so and it's then leave really them sad. under our thumb where they can't even grow their own food. And I don't know if I said this on a previous pod, but it warrants saying like over and over to everyone who wants to hear it. Puerto Rico can't receive ships unless they've stopped in the United States first. So during the pandemic, when all the ports were closed, they literally couldn't get food or supplies and yeah. when you had hurricane maria happen that's why it was so rough for them they couldn't receive any supplies from the islands that are so much closer to them than the united states like cuba and the dominican republic they were like hey we have stuff do you and need it and the united states government was like nah. no it is it is it's a form of slavery and i think that that's what we have to i mean it's a black and brown, like these are black and brown places, black and brown. And we can't forget the roots of this country. It runs deep still to this day. And it's very unfortunate. Um, I mean, I even look at the South, like when I go home, it's depressing mm -hmm. to see like how a lot of like black Americans are really living because, like, honestly, if we're going to be for, I was just telling someone, like, the United States is very rural. We just have these hubs. That's really it. And so outside of, like, Atlanta, that's, it's very rural Georgia where it's not safe for black people to go. Same thing, like, in Alabama. Um, like, I still have friends who, like, live in Montgomery and they're like, yeah, like, I'm one of two black people. And I'm like, Montgomery probably has like a very high, it does have a very high population of black people. Um, and I lived in Montgomery as a child and 
Um, it was really different when I moved from like Montgomery, which is more of like Southern Alabama to Northern Alabama. Cause like I had a lot of black friends and it was very diverse. And then I moved to North Alabama and I was like, there's a lot of white people here. Mm-hmm. Why is it like this? But then when I grew up in Montgomery, we had like, there was like thriving black communities. And so when Aiden and I went to Montgomery, um, last month we like drove around like my old town and now it's what people would consider like the projects and like very ghetto and when I grew up that's where like all like the middle class like black people grew up we all went to like really good schools and it looked nice and like now they're like they just took it all away and now that's what they're like don't go here Mm -hmm. I'm like it wasn't like this wow as a kid and it was like, we're not going to let them thrive for too long, you know? Mm-hmm. Let's go back to Tulsa. Yeah. And, like, key to a thriving community starts at its food source. Food. Water. But then you also... Shelter. S- soil. But that's the thing, too. Like, I also grew up in a part to where our water was, like, crappy. Almost all the black, pe- all the black people there have cancer. Mm-hmm. Cancer alley. So we also have to be, like very obvious and state the facts that like, you know, we put certain plants and we release certain chemicals Mm -hmm. where there are a high population of black and brown people, you know? Yes, indeed. So what, so just imagine what we do to islands that we don't talk about and we don't visit until it's convenient for us. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. No water sources. Like they don't have pipes. No. They collect stuff in buckets and like, they like, taped together PVC pipes on in some cases like I, I would really limited I really want to learn more about recycling rainwater but not also yeah. just rainwater but snow because like in this climate we do when it's snowing we have snow but like just learning how to recycle to use it for like yeah so that's one of the cool things that we're going to try to bring down. So like we're going to be attending AgriFest, which is like one of their biggest festivals on the island. So we're going to be like bringing resources basically from just like my goal is just to like share information about the federal programs that are available and totally open for people on the Virgin Islands to apply to, mm-hmm. to get money for practices through specifically I'm talking about through the USDA NRCS, the Natural Resource Conservation Service, practices like roof water runoff structures, like just like you were talking about. That actually does exist as a practice. And the thing about NRCS, which is so, it's such a huge opportunity uh, is the way I see it, is that they write these practice codes. And like the the challenge with that is like if there's codes written at a federal level, it doesn't apply to every place and scale. Mm. So like you do wind up in situations where like it's over engineered for the like or over designed or it's too big, but you have to adhere to this federal guideline in order to get paid. And what I hope is that with more input and how it's supposed to work <laughs> is through actually gathering input from the community if you pump that input through your conservation district and the local working group then you can actually get change like you can change the practice standard you can change the payment rate like if you prove that actually it costs this much 
to build a fence in Vermont. So you need to raise your practice rates to meet to, the yeah. current day reality. All that is possible. That kind of change is possible through the local working group, which is this really, you know, powerful, potentially powerful uh, mechanism for community engagement and community input. It's not happening at a scale right now, but we're supposed to do it, you know? So all I'm saying is like, let's do it. There's a ton of guidance about it. They've spelled it out completely how it's supposed to go. So all I'm doing is reading the guidance and saying like, let's do it. (laughs) And then also having like community like feedback on like, this is what we need here. Mm -hmm. It's not like going in and saying, I know what you need. We're going to do it my way. And so I think that's really important to, to, to highlight because we don't really need any more saviors. We just need people to work with one another Mm -hmm. and not have that hierarchy standpoint. So I think that's, so yeah, I'm excited. It's like not just the roof water runoff, but like greenhouses, like they can pay for high tunnels. That's another one where it's like, it pays for one side. There's a farm down the street, like right next to where you live. And they have now these like crazy oversized greenhouses that don't fit in with any of their other hoop houses. (laughs) They're just like sticking out there because the federal guidance made them do it according to their specs. So that's one of those things that's like, if they really are serious about food security and making it work for the little guy and equity, then they, we're gonna have to have more flexibility in these programs and like be able to change them. I heard Um, one word, equity. It means so much. I feel like a lot of people hate that word. They do. um, Because a lot of people like to them, and this is coming from like my standpoint of like, what I do for work because you know everything's like DEI which I mm-hmm. I hate that I just I don't like any acronyms like I just diversity equity and inclusion it's like someone told me I was in a, like let me go off on a tangent for a second and then I'm gonna go get off. back to this one hit a button <laughs> so, prep the prep us this one because this is it this is it Let's this is freaky. it I was actually at the space on Maine a couple of weeks ago and I had a meeting and of course I am black. Um, and I was in a meeting with three white people. So it's four of us. And one guy was like, yes, the diversity that we have. And I was like, is he talking about me? Oh, is he talking about, I am the diversity. No, he has this. no, the diversity was, <clears throat> The age, the age, this is why I don't like the term diversity hmm. because diversity can mean anything True. from social economic status mm-hmm. to age, to race, mm-hmm. to gender. I hate it. I hate that term. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there. We are diverse in age and also in gender because there was one white lady and two white men and me and but they were talking about themselves they were like and the reason that we are having this conversation is because like we represent the diversity on said board i'm looking at three white people what are you you're telling me as a black person that you guys are diverse because you everyone's a different age and there's a white lady here that is why i despise 
DEI, because even when you do that, you have to also realize diversity means all of those things. So when you go to the equity part, mm-hmm. equity is also going to mean something different because equity to black people is different than equity to white women. Mm-hmm. Equity to white women is going to be different for equity to white men. So it's like, mm-hmm. what are we even talking about? Equity for who? And then when we say inclusion, inclusion is, well, such and such is from New Zealand who is said white man. And since this is inclusion, because we haven't included a different country (laughs) on said board. So that is why I have a problem with the whole DEI standpoint, because it could actually exclude the people that it is supposed to help Mm -hmm. the most. So when it comes to equity, I feel the same way because equity can also exclude who it needs to help the most. So that's just my tangent on DEI. I hate it. It's die. DEI needs to die. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I mean, like to me. Equity is a way to get to equality. That's the whole point. It that that's it. So when people are like, "No, we need equality," it's like, "Yeah." And the way you get there is by equity. Is by thinking about each person as an individual. Like, what do you need to get an equal shot? What do you need to get an equal like, shot? And that's actually it. Like the fact of the matter is, race has a lot to do with it. it does gender has a lot to do it with does. it? Socioeconomics does have a lot to do with it. And we can be thoughtful and listen to each other about, hey, Aaron, what do you need? <laughs> we have this pot of money. I'm the federal government. How can I, I help have you? Money for you? How can I help you? If you want to grow food, we do have money for that. But you're going to have to tell me how it's going to help you to do that. I'm working. Um, so I'm, I'll be teaching a class, which is so odd for me to be teaching anybody anything. <laughs> Don't say that. Not odd. She's it's just very well qualified. I, I am a very well qualified <laughs> person. I just get really irritated. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> that's the problem. Um, Being a teacher requires so much patience. It requires. But like, the good thing about up, it, repeat yourself and. But these are adults, so hopefully it's better. Um, but there's actually what brings me to this is it's like teaching a class on there's a grant that's opening to like diversify your farm. Um, and it closes like March 3rd. Do you know about this one? It's like the working land enterprises, something, Mm -hmm. and they're doing a, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so I'll be teaching a class on like helping people to what like diversify their farm is, um, which could mean like, do you want to have like agroforestry? Do you want to have like agritourism? Like what? What does this mean to you? Um, and I was really shocked because mm. they're not excluding cannabis mm. from the from the funds, which I thought was pretty great. Um, but even hearing them, like there's one lady that has a hazelnut farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's wanting to like actually like press it for oil. And so that's her, like, what she wants to do, diversify her farm. Mm -hmm. And at one point in time, they're like, that's not really diversifying a farm. Mm. But now it is. Yeah, that's changing. And it's like, thanks. 
because a year ago you were someone totally different, but now mm-hmm. now you're on this bandwagon. But honestly, it's because of the community engagement and the input of a lot of people, and that's why have been pushing community engagement to change so policies important. to make them make sense for the for people the context that we are in and the people that it's designed to help. The people they have to be engaged in. The creation and for, it's iterative. So that means you're going to go back to them and ask, hey, did it work? What didn't work? How did it work? And it's okay what if it didn't. Like, if it didn't, as long as you're gathering that input again. And so it's like community engagement is forever. It's like something that, I mean, the world changes. I mean, let's look at fashion. Let, let's take it from like a fashion standpoint. Like fashion in the 60s does not look like fashion today. Still fashion. We just don't do it the same way that we used to. We just, we have evolved with time. And I think that that's how this world is going. We have to evolve with climate change as we all see. Like mm-hmm. Alabama, it snowed in Alabama. Like that's not normal. Mm-hmm. Like they got like four inches of snow. Mm-hmm. Maine yeah, is like, Texas was freezing. Maine right now is like some parts of Maine are underwater. Mm-hmm. The seacoast of New yeah. Hampshire. It's, it's, it's happening. Like, and we're we're gonna have to have a skilled society adaptability that we're gonna be have to be able to adapt and really diversify our food system and rely on food from where we live. Like that's just really odd to me is how like we're always like thank a farmer today and it's like we should thank a farmer today, yep. but why aren't we actually thanking the farmers today? Like <laughs> you know. I like this. I like where you're going in this. <laughs> Carry on. I just find it very odd when I go to a grocery store and this says, this mango has come from California, mm-hmm. which is fine. You know, whatever. I do want the option to buy like uh, a mango and an avocado. I like that. I do. I love that. I love but that. then, but then we, so we have to skip down to then it's like cucumber. Yeah. Mexico. And I'm just Canada. like, wh- do we know how much money? So let's, let's go. And like talk it. Like, it, co- like uh, it, do you know how many farm? Do you know how many farmers in Vermont grow cucumbers that grow herbs that grow turnips? It shouldn't even be allowed to be it sold in the grow grocery peppers. Stores, like, let it, alone be the bulk of what's sold in it, our local grocery. And then we stores. have like this little small shop local. Yeah. Are you telling like me to thank shelf. a farmer, mm-hmm. but we're not even thanking our farmers right mm-hmm. now? This is like a slap in the face. It's like, yeah, but our farmers. Aren't we they cute? But meanwhile, what you're really making them do is set up a circus tent. Every Saturday at the local farmer's market or Thursday night, like they're busy. They are working outside in the sun. Seriously. Don't treat them like circus animals. That I think that bothers me the most is because it's like there's so much local food that every state can produce. Like some things, obviously, we're not going to get in this climate. Like I'm not going to get mangoes here. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get a pineapple here. Like, I, that's fine. That's fine. Like, I get it. You know, mm-hmm. Alabama's not going to get maple syrup mm-hmm. the way Vermont has maple syrup. Mm-hmm. That's understandable. Right. Like, there are some luxuries I get. But when it comes down to, like, a lot of my greens, like, yeah. a lot of my vegetables, mm-hmm. and you're telling me to thank a farmer, like, make it, like, my, 
Make it make sense. Like my beef is not coming from a bee farmer in Vermont. And you live next to a bee farmer. It's, you're telling me that we yeah. pack this up in an 18 wheeler and it's going from state to state to state. Mm-hmm. By the time it gets to me, if I don't eat it by tomorrow, I got to throw it away. And, and this is the part that like I start to get all tied up in knots about with this whole concept of like paying farmers for carbon sequestration. When I'm just like, think of the carbon saved in transport by just buying local. Like, I don't need a computer model to tell me that having roots in the ground sequesters carbon into the soil. I do need to have an infrastructure, a local food, resilient food infrastructure in place where I don't have to, in my gut, know that the carbon footprint of this tomato from Canada or Mexico... (laughs) is wrecking any electric car benefit I might be getting or like, or like, oh yeah, they planted cover crops in the field next door that, but yet here I am buying produce from other countries. That that is what bothers me the most. Like, I think that's the biggest slap on the face to a farmer is because we are saying shop local. Our milk is not local. Like, Literally, you're not lactose intolerant. From you just the milk. need raw milk. <laughs> <laughs> you literally just need go to Roby Farm and get their raw like, milk. Like you just you're yeah you are lactose to what they have in the grocery store because they have to put all this stuff in it. Very st- intolerant of grocery stores. Like uh, you know, <laughs> and and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but obviously, like we really do need to get this just together because there is no reason why we are importing as much food like any state yeah any state anywhere you are like this is transferable across the globe this type of mentality is like it's it's let's get our our calories up from local we just have to go up (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay so that's just that's just how I feel. Like I just that just a really bothers feel me. That way. You know what? I need you know, a if we all feel that way feel that way. I feel like at this moment, like and I get it, it is cheaper to shop at a grocery store than to shop. I get it. Like it's but at expensive. the same time it could actually and be even cheaper. Like we are paying more money. And just, the cost to get it here, you're telling yeah, me come on. The cost of an eighteen wheeler going buy it. from California to Vermont in which case like you know this is being subsidized like those farms have access to federal dollars at a scale that the farms here don't and my question is why I mean and I kind of know why I mean I'm about to say (laughs) it's really no secret that's that's um that's a topic for another day yeah I think that's Um, absolutely that's gonna be a topic for another day but it is it's like we should really be putting this pressure on everyone is like so if farmers are as important as we say they are Mm -hmm. then why aren't we like shopping local why aren't our grocery stores filled with local produce yeah like it makes zero sense like I want to buy a pig and freeze it, like take it to the butcher. And like, I think that that is how you help. That is the local infrastructure. But if we continue to be like, okay, well, a gallon of milk is 99 cents at this grocery store. And to get a gallon of raw milk is like $7. But ask yourself why. 
And the nutrient density alone makes up for it. And I don't have like the numbers and studies to back this up, but if you eat a vegetable from your garden versus like a hothouse tomato from Mexico, you're going to be less hungry because you actually are getting more nutrients and that's what your body is craving. So yeah, that's a, yeah. So the one of the really cool, exciting things that we're going to be doing down on the Virgin Islands is actually helping them with running their local work group, that public participation process I was talking about. So we're going to be running like the same survey that we're running up here mm -hmm. and up here on February 22nd at like 630 at night over Zoom. We're hosting our public meeting uh, for our local working group for anyone who lives in the White River Conservation District. We are going to be basically for the three days of AgriFest, we're going to have a table with someone basically running these interviews with anybody who comes up to the table and wants to answer these basic questions that are, what is the, what is your vision of the future of your food system and your natural environment? And what issues of concern do you have in your food system and the natural environment? No, we also should do, <clears throat> we should do like recruitment for a lot of like, um, like black colleges to like make sure they know about this like because yeah. especially I mean we always need internships externships yeah. and I feel like a lot of opportunities they just that's just like unheard the of literal history of the natural resource conservation yeah. service too like that's what they did that's they like what posted they posted up at HBCs so yeah, and they, they made sure that they were taking the right classes which like one of the important classes to take in college is your soils class that without the soils credits you can't get a lot of these jobs um, that's one of these things that like trips people up. Um, and that's something that we want to help with, like in maybe in partnership with Vermont Technical College. That's sort of what I'm got my feelers yeah. out about is like, can they take the three credit class at VTC and get their soils credit so that no matter where they go, yeah. yeah. They at least and then have also, that requirement. Yeah, I think that's really important. We should make sure we connect with HBCUs yep. and to let them know about even this opportunity, what we're doing, mm -hmm. like once we put it together. And the cool thing that I, what I've been thinking about is like with scaling this, um, you know, we only have the budget we have for now, but I do feel like it's really important that people are paid. Yeah. But I also see that there's probably a whole class of people who would pay to do this or would do it for free. And I kind of want to have or, like three different categories that you can opt into or even um, have been like, and have like, if you pay for it, you're like providing a scholarship for someone else to yeah. get paid. Like me, you know, I'm getting paid while being there because my job. So mm -hmm. even, you know, maybe someone's job was like, okay, well, yeah, this counts as what you're already doing. Yeah, so it could fit into a job so, you already have yeah, um, to do this training program. So to me, it's like, I'm going to the Virgin Islands and it's for work. So I tell people all the time, everyone's like, you're going to the Virgin. I'm like for work. Yes. I'm we are honestly going to be working really like, hard. Like, uh, and I want people to understand it's for work. I mean, yes, I will definitely also We're play. Enjoy it. I'm <laughs> going to play because I'm not working but all 24 hours. We all know hours. how hard it is to work like a booth. 
you know, but thankfully we have like 23 people coming with us. I so know. It'll and take then turns. they're not only working a booth, like going to different farms and we're, we're all kind of doing, doing like visits. different we're things at farms. Workshops at the AgriFest. Like yeah. On, um, on different topics and soil health and stuff like that. Um, we're going to have stuff for the kids because we have like great people coming with us from like kids educational programs mm -hmm. around the state. Um, yeah, our kids are even doing a project while they're there. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited. I know. Yeah, Aiden's it's doing great flood resiliency. Yeah, post hurricane. So how do they? How do you prepare for floods? Yeah, I don't know what Shade's doing, but she wants to help us with our survey basically and be like a junior reporter. Yeah, just into the survey because Aiden said he's fine with like interviewing folks. Yeah, on they could have sessions where it's them at the booth. He's going to talk about just like how the slave trade. Um, happened and yeah, because I always think of like I watched a documentary and I think it was on Animal Planet. That's telling my age because I don't even think Animal Planet is the same Animal Planet that I grew up watching. Nothing's, um, the, same. nothing's the same. But anyway, they <laughs> talked about how um, the sharks' patterns changed during mm. slavery, the slave trade, because like when you know. They were sick. They would just throw them off. Or uh, so many people were just like, I'll just die before you just take me in captivity. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, like more sh sharks were like there and it, it, was, it wasn't normal, but it changed like the whole shark migration. So <sighs> it just messed up so much. It's just like you could have just left us where we like just left everyone where they were at. We would probably all be thriving a lot better than what we are right now. We're trying to fix things that were not broken, but we broke them. Yeah, basically. So this is our first pod of 2024. Happy 2024. Happy 2024. It's it. It's We've a got year. a lot in store for this year. We have guests lined up. We do. We do. That are really exciting. We have we topics on the brain that we're going to be downloading. Yeah. We probably won't do another pod until like after, after the, the Virgin Islands. Mm -hmm. And it would do. get this out. Just yeah. let people know. No, we're going away. Um, we'll have lots of awesome stories when we come back. Yes. So we have a lot. We do like a lot, a lot of good stuff. Topics from last year that we're going to re-explore this year. Mm -hmm. um, the great thing about like now is session is here. So I'll be at the state house quite a bit. So I'll actually be able to talk about. Yeah, you know, bills, bills. Mm -hmm. um, and just informing people, um, public comment on how that that's just important. So there's just a lot of fun things that we're both doing. Um, and really the gist of what we're both doing is just trying to help a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just, just trying to be access. a faithful servant. Increase access to information and opportunities especially financial opportunities because we all need money and yeah um politics that's gonna be one i yeah, just I don't, don't really like, like it <laughs> <laughs> i don't really want to go there i mean but it's really important because policy policy is unfortunately mm. is politics and in order for us to inform people on things that they need to public comment on unfortunately 
We have to talk about it. I'm not, but we will not dive into the colors of it all. So Mm-mm. we will not be talking about the red about or the blue. Because yeah. they don't make sense. Um, I don't see color. Huh, that is so funny on so many levels because but. someone told me that and then I asked them what was their favorite um season in Vermont. Like I followed up with that afterwards. Uh-huh. And <laughs> they told me that fall was the their favorite. <laughs> and I was like, Why is fall your favorite? And they're like, you know, just the colors of it all. And I was like, So you do see color. Oh. Shut them right up. Um that's that's the that's life that so I have. <laughs> But yeah, that was really fun. Um, I'm so happy. <sighs> well, it's Aaron and Jen. Jen and Aaron with the Broken Vermont podcast. Yeah.